Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is someone very special. Her name is Lauren Askinosi, and she's the Chief Marketing Officer of Askinosi Chocolate, which is one of the first small bad chocolate factories in America and has been named by Forbes as one of the 25 best small companies in the country. Askinosi Chocolate is a family affair, as it was founded by Lauren's father, Sean, whom for my diehard fans might remember was on the show already. I had that honor to interview him. And uh, his episode is definitely one of my very all-time favorites. Lauren is a passionate advocate for women and works hard to empower them through every aspect of the business, from helping to seek out female-led farmer groups to facilitate girls' empowerment initiatives in Askinosis, Cocoa, or Region communities. Lauren and Sean also co-authored the book, Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling, and Feed Your Soul. Hello, Lauren, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to speak with you. Well, I'm super excited since we set up this interview after I interviewed your dad and learned about you. And we're both very passionate about, you know, diversity and inclusion and empowering yes. women. And uh, I remember in that episode, I also told him like, well, I work for my dad. So your daughter and I yes. have a lot in common and we need to connect because I know we could do like a whole series of, <laughs> of back to basics episodes from different angles. Yes. 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 I always, so, I always say that um, working with your dad is really great 95% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and the other 5% can be a little it's, challenging. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure that we can have, we should do at some point, do yes. an episode on that. But all in all, and I did tell him that it's, it's such, and I, I think you can relate, it's the best and I know you do travel with your dad as I yes. travel with my dad. Yes. He's now 87, so we don't do it as often. But we had so many incredible trips. And, mm -hmm. and to be in a business meeting with your dad and collaborating is just something that is very hard to make people understand the feeling. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. It's it's been one of my, you know, most, some of my most cherished moments are, you know, the times that my dad and I have had these just really wild experiences traveling the globe that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll cherish forever. It's, it's really an honor. That is great. So in, in your case, your dad had a different career. So you were, you kind of witnessed his entire pivot and his episode, I have to say is one it's an episode that people write to me all the time. Like just last week, 
some a friend of mine that heard it, she said I was crying when I heard this episode because it was all about the true calling. And I mean, your dad has a way of really inspiring people. He's inspired me to to dig deeper. So mm -hmm. I think uh, it's incredible that your dad is also on that path. I would say, I would like to say mine is, but no, he's incredible. He's a big inspiration, <laughs> but almost by default, he's not like a big spiritual seeker. So. Mm -hmm. so tell us about, you know, of course, your young years mm -hmm. growing up in your family, mm -hmm. what you were passionate about. And I'm sure, you know, just because the your journey really intertwines everything you're doing. So... Yes. I'm ready to hear. Yes. To yes. Well, I had a pretty interesting childhood, really, which only now as an adult, I can look back on and recognize because when you're a child, it's just this is normal. But my dad was a criminal defense attorney um, for 20 plus years before transitioning to becoming a chocolate maker. And because of the kinds of cases that he tried, you know, there was national recognition and attention that he received. And with that came some less positive aspects, I will say, and things like death threats. And, you know, there was a lot of like safety concerns when I was a child growing up and we had to practice hostage situations in our home. And I had, you know, certain things in my bedroom to help keep me safe. And sometimes security would be with me at school. So, you know, there was this really just kind of unique experience that I had uh, kind of witnessing him um, do this work that he loved. But he, you know, eventually did decide that he wanted to um, to kind of switch gears. But, you know, my dad was a very busy man, as you can imagine, being a you know criminal defense attorney. But every Saturday, from the time I was two until I moved out of the house, we had um, a Saturday morning date and we would go to the donut shop. Um, then we'd go to Barnes and Noble or to another bookstore. And that's a really like defining piece of, of my childhood because it sort of laid a foundation for me of how a working parent, um, which I am now, can still be present in their child's life, even someone that is, you know, working incredible hours. But I, I was a very spirited little kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I loved learning, didn't love school, always kind of struggled to fit in a little bit. You know, I was smart, which is something that's hard for me to say even now as an adult. And I'm working with my daughter on not being ashamed to say things like that. But because of that, it meant that I was uh, attended a different school for a, one day every week during my elementary and middle school years. And those were my favorite days. Um, I got to go to a school that had a gifted program and just really dive deep into topics that interested me. So building and programming a robot, writing a book, producing a play, learning another language, teaching myself algebra, like those were things that I that I did, you know, before I was 10 years old. And I really, you know, I really loved it. And then my my high school years uh, were very unusual. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> How so? So I was in public school until about uh, seventh grade. And um, like I said, I just never really could find, I never fit in. I never found the right school really until college where I loved the environment that I was in. So I transitioned to a very small, very conservative Christian high school. And it was a classical-based education, uh, which I will say was unbelievable. It was very rigorous academically, but also there were 
just some real challenges for me as someone that didn't grow up in a, in a home that was that conservative. And so, you know, I loved the challenge of, of that learning environment, but ultimately at 15, I, I wasn't happy. And so I, I went to my parents and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with school at this point, and I don't want to go back to public school because I would be starting as a sophomore, but at the school I was at, I was basically kind of a rising senior. So I said, I contacted the local university and um, I'm planning on enrolling. And my parents were like, wait, you can't, what are you talking about? You can't do that. (laughs) And I said, actually I can. So at 15, I started attending classes with a friend of ours that was a professor at a a different local university. I bought myself a couple of of workbooks to learn how to take my GED and my ACT and, um, you know, spent my days doing that and auditing some of those college classes. When I turned 16, I took my driver's test, my GED and my ACT all within a three-week period. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I started I started college and moved moved out of my house and into the dorms when I was 16. Wow, that's incredible. So you you had drive and I can tell that uh, you're already like light up when you tell like, "Oh my god, I did this." Like <laughs> does it happen that sometimes it's like it's not possible that I did all this by the time I was 16. Yeah, I mean, you know, at at the time I certainly wasn't motivated by achieving this. It was really driven by I'm just not happy. And I think both of my parents have always been really supportive and encouraged me to be different. And so I, I felt like I'm going to explore this possibility and, and see if I can do it. And I was able I to. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Now, I'm, I don't remember from Sean's interview. Do, are, do you have siblings? So I have two half sisters um, from my okay. mom. Yeah. So grew up mm-hmm. in a blended family. And, okay. um, and that, that presented some unique challenges for sure. Um, we were a, you know, very busy, messy, happy family. That's great. That is great. And I do remember just to, to your point, my dad being very, very, very busy. And we had our Saturday tradition. He would take us to the beach every single Saturday. And I always tell people, you know, when when you hear parents that are busy and that are, you know, like always, you know, finding things to do, if you love your family and you enjoy more than love, if you enjoy your family, mm. you always going to make the point to find that even if it's that one day, that one tradition, that one morning, and it makes a huge impact because I go back to that Saturday memory, just yes. like you did right now and say, at least I had that Saturday mm-hmm. at the beach with my dad. Mm-hmm. And this is something I always said. He said at one point that he could have triple the size of the company we have, but he knew the moment where we, he would have had to make that trade off mm-hmm. that those Saturdays wouldn't have been there anymore. Mm-hmm. And he made the conscious choice. And I know this is something I heard at some point to your father talk about where you want to remain small but profitable rather than go so big that it's, you know, out of control for everybody. And I think that's a big back to basics point Mm -hmm. that I just take the opportunity because it's something you reinforce and it's my experience too. So Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for that. Anything you want to add to that? To the growing, yes, I saw you. I, yeah, you know, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it's something that my dad and I actively 
speak about is, you know, not necessarily work-life balance, because for us, it's like, what, what is that? Um, <laughs> our mm-hmm. work is our life, but it's for our team. That's critically important to us. But the question that we ask ourselves a lot is, what is enough? And that can be a moving target, but we seek to define that financially in terms of, you know, the scale of the company, um, the kinds of customers that we're working with, you know, what is, what is enough? The farmer partners that we're working with, the meals, you know, that we're providing sustainably in our lunch programs in Tanzania and the Philippines, so that we can, at the end of the day, feel like we have um, achieved enough and there's not just this constant striving and, and having to make, you know, sacrifices that we're not ready for, but, but it is a moving target. Yes. And it takes a great discipline to keep a line into, you know, this is, you know, learning that enoughness mm-hmm. that some people call enoughness and, and learning to sit in that enoughness and be happy about it mm-hmm. and, and with the contribution we all make. So, so Lauren, so you went to college and you're embarking in all these things. And so I know at some point where you, well, I don't know in the time frame if your father already, when does he made, uh, founded his own company. In my case, mm-hmm. I was born, the company was already there. So mm-hmm. since I was, you know, very little in my mom's belly, that the, there was this company where the, there was the expectation mm-hmm. of maybe joining. And I personally always say, I'm never going to work for the family business. Mm-hmm. And then that was my own journey coming coming around mm-hmm. with, that, with that belief. So I'm interested and curious also in understanding that part of your own journey. You bet. So my dad took a summer to go to the Amazon for about two, three months. Uh, The summer that I was 14, I remember him coming to my mom and I, and he had been exploring this idea of a hobby, (laughs) which I Mm -hmm. laugh about, but I mean, whenever you, you know, have the kind of career that he did, I mean, hobbies aren't necessarily a thing that, that you have. Not that that's a great thing, but he didn't. So he told us that and my mom and I said, okay, we'll have a girl's summer. And when he came back, um, this was 2004, was when he decided that he wanted to, to start making chocolate. He wanted to buy a building in this blighted part of our, of our town and start buying equipment. But he incorporated the business in 2006, so which was the year that I started university. So kind of, you know, the year that I was 15 and, and 16, he was really figuring out the branding of the company. And I loved that. So as a teenager, and now I was very interested in design and music and fashion. And my dad used to joke that he and I had computers next to each other in his office. So I would do my homework up there while he would be working. And I would have like a thousand tabs bookmarked, like all these, you know, websites that I thought were really cool. And so I had this really unique experience of being able to help design the brand with him as a as a teenager. Um, and then, you know, he started actually making the chocolate and I was involved in various capacities um, with the business from day one. So even when I was in university, I was writing our press releases <laughs> and mm-hmm. managing our social media, um, you know, at 16, 17. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I obviously had no credentials to be doing these things, but it was, you no, know, it was a family business and, and I wanted to help and I was eager and passionate. I remember, you know, calling whole food stores at that time, trying to sell them our 
our chocolate and telling them, you know, well, wholesale, it's, you know, it's $5 a bar and, you know, at 17 and, you know, being laughed at, you know, baptized <laughs> and, <laughs> and hung up on, um, which was great. It was, it was a great thing for me to, to experience and learn. And in the summers, I worked our storefront and I helped, you know, ship the chocolate, just whatever needed to be done. So um, when I graduated university right after I turned 20 was when I joined the company full time. And it was something that I knew I wanted to do because I felt at that point, like I had been, you know, building this with my dad. And there was really kind of no question. It met all of the needs that I wanted and a career and in a life. It was really important to me to work somewhere where I felt like I was part of something bigger and I was contributing to something positive. And I've always loved a big challenge and, and being thrown into something and, and kind of learning how to figure it out, which is what I did. So I've spent the last um, you know, decade plus, basically in the role that I am now. And, and I co-own, you know, the company with my dad and he and I collaborate on it, on it all from, you know, research and development with our chocolate bars to the sales and marketing strategy to sourcing cocoa beans with our farmer partners to traveling um, to work with our farmer partners and taking high school students with us every other year as part of our chocolate university program. So I feel really lucky that I've had the very unique career experience that I've had no, so far. And it's so inspiring. And, and, you know, I think your story gives, to me, gives hope because I talk about it all the time, at least in telecommunications, which is the industry. I mean, how the whole business has become very, unfortunately, a little bit cutthroat, the smaller companies, the people that do the work are the ones that get the pressure from, you know, the big telecommunication companies that it's just, we have lost the, the personal touch. We have, in my opinion, have lost humanity. And it's an industry that enables communications. Like we are <laughs> a very important industry. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, in the interior part of how we are operating, we are allowing things to happen that we shouldn't be allowing to mm. happen, like smaller companies getting pushed and oppressed and mm. almost like a bully, a corporate bully from big corporations to the small ones. And so when you learn about how you setting up the company and you are obviously a younger generations and, and very, you know, conscious business inclined, spiritual company, obviously, for your, your dad. And I can tell he's transferred that to you. And so there's hope because you're trying, you you're, you created the company and you can obviously please talk more about it, about transparency. And you open the books to your, you know, sources and you are focused on women empowerment and trying to serve. So all these initiatives that I would love to learn more about, including Chocolate University, which I think is a great idea, are things that you actively work on. And you are, in my opinion, shaping like a new generation of how business should be. Well, thank you. That's incredibly kind. Yes, I mean, all of my peers want to work somewhere where they, you know, feel valued, but where they feel like they're, you know, contributing to something bigger than themselves. And I'm really proud of our very small company. Um, you know, there's only 20 of us full time. And what we accomplish is, is pretty great. And there's absolutely no way that we could do what we do, my dad and I, without the team that we have. But from day one, my dad knew 
that he wanted to work directly with cocoa farmers, that he wanted to pay them, you know, uh, above, you know, fair trade market price for their cocoa beans, that he wanted to involve them in the business. He knew that he wanted to be involved in the community and which was the genesis for Chocolate University. So at the time that the company was founded, we were a block away from our city's largest homeless shelter. And as such, there were about 80 kids um, there that lived there and slept there every night. So he founded Chocolate University to really just engage those kids that were on our street um, and attending the elementary school that was just also a block away from our factory. And they would come into the factory, they would make chocolate, you know, get hands-on experience that no one else um, can get. But we also would go into their classrooms and talk about everything from small business and entrepreneurship to cacao agronomy and direct trade. Now that program has, you know, expanded in, in 15 years to include a middle school program and a high school program in which we uh, have high schoolers from across a few counties apply. Uh, it's a pretty rigorous process. And we've done this for the last uh, decade. And we spend several months with them in really kind of an intensive sort of leadership academy, if you will. We talk with them very in-depth about our business model, how we do what we do. And, and what we're doing is we're prepping them to accompany my dad and I to Tanzania to spend a week working alongside our farmer partners. So this several month long program culminates in an intensive few days on a university campus that's nearby. The kids go home and they pack their bags, they meet us at the airport. And for many of these kids, this is their first time on an airplane, let alone a 65 hour door to door, you know, mm -hmm. um, experience Journey. like this, <laughs> right? And it's just, you know, I, I think it's transformative for these high schoolers, but it's it's transformative for my dad and I. I mean, I think we almost get more from it than they do. It's one of my favorite parts of my job, and I've missed it during the pandemic. Um, but these students are unbelievable. I mean, they've gone on to Yale. They have, you know, taken gap years, a couple of them, and gone back to the village where we work to work in some of our programs. So, you know, the direct trade is a thread that runs throughout our entire business. We are an open book company. We're financially transparent with everyone on our team. And we take that upstream to our farmer partners. So my dad was just in Tanzania this past weekend. It was our first origin trip in two and a half years. It was just so emotional. Um, and I wasn't even there with him, but you know, I was able to, to FaceTime with our farmer partners and they were some of the first people to meet my daughter after she was born virtually on Zoom. And mm -hmm. he brought financial statements, he goes through them line by line in Swahili in this case, or in the case of our other origins, whatever language. And then we bring cash and we we share this cash after we, you know, go over the financial statement. And those are just, you know, some pieces of what we do. We have a lot of community development initiatives in the origins where we work. And yes, um, empowering women is is a huge facet of our direct trade philosophy. And it's really inspired by my particular passion for that. So one of the things I'm most proud of is that we're the only craft chocolate maker that I know of that's working directly with female-led cocoa farmer groups. And this is so, it's so great because A, it's kind of a rarity for there to be women-led farmer groups, um, you know, and, and the, you know, cacao is a commodity. That's not super common, but 
women are kind of the unsung heroes of the cocoa industry. I mean, women are often the ones who are harvesting the cocoa. Sometimes it's, you know, kind of a kitchen garden situation and tending to the house and the kids. And so being able to see these just super inspiring women um, that we work with and spend time with them, you know, brings me so much joy. And I've learned so much from them about how to be a working mother, to be honest. And then we also have an Empowered Girls and Enlightened Boys program, um, specifically in Tanzania. And this is another one of my favorite parts of my job. Um, We partner with a grassroots East African organization to run these programs. And at this time, we have about six clubs and three different schools. We're serving about 1,600 students. And we've done this for many, many years. And, you know, for the girls, we're really seeking to educate them about family planning, uh, gender-based violence, leadership, collaboration, entrepreneur skills. Um, we also provide them with period products. Um, something a lot of people don't, don't realize is that basically all of the girls in the communities where we work miss school for about a week a month because of a lack of access to period products. We've been just amazed to see what a change there has been in the test scores of these students and in, you know, the progress of them going on to secondary education from these programs. So we started the Enlightened Boys program a few years after we started the Empowered Girls because we realized we needed this corollary brother program. You know, we were teaching the girls these things, but the boys needed to believe in female autonomy also. And it's amazing. It's amazing to when we spend time in the village to see the actual collaboration. Um, My dad was sending me videos this weekend of plays that the students were putting on together and ways that they were working together on, on as teams. And, you know, a lot of people ask, okay, well, what does it have to do with chocolate? And for us, it's, it's everything and nothing. It's everything because, you know, these programs are things that our farmer partners are also deeply involved in and deeply passionate about. And, it makes our chocolate better. These relationships that we have absolutely result in better beans and better chocolate, which then we can sell more of, which then means more money in the pockets of our farmer partners. But it's also nothing because it's all so much bigger than chocolate. You know, this work that we're doing has so much more power to it beyond the chocolate bar. Um, but it's just, it's how, it's how we do our business. That's what we believe is, is the best way to do what we do. I love that. And I no surprise that then you two, your dad and you co-authored this book called, called Meaningful Work. And it's evident that the work you're doing, it's so meaningful to, to, you know, not only to you and your family, but to the world. And it has so much power to inspire anybody listening. I'm sure it will be equally blown away as I am. And so so tell us a little bit about the, the book, what you all wanted to achieve with it and and that whole process of, of creating the book, a very interesting book. Yes. Well, thank you very much. So we, the book was a three plus year process. And um, my dad and I joke, it was some of the longest years of, of both of our lives. Mine, you know, is a little <laughs> shorter than, but it was wonderful and brutal trying to run a company and write a book at the same time, especially as collaborators. You know, the book is really my dad's story and and it's in his voice. But I was so excited that he asked me to do this along with him. 
I've always loved reading and writing and studied that in college. And I learned so much going through the publishing process. And we just hoped that maybe the book would be inspirational for one person. You know, we had very low expectations about book sales because that gets pretty kind of pounded into you whenever you're going mm-hmm. through this process and you start mm-hmm. to realize, you know, um, the likelihood of it being like a runaway bestseller. And mm-hmm. we've both just been kind of amazed that, you know, the book came out in fall of 2017. And even now it's it's selling and it's inspiring people. I mean, when we receive a, an email from a reader or a note on social media that someone has read the book and it's you know, inspired them to make a change or do something different in their lives, we feel like, well, that was, that was worth it. I and mean, even if it was just one person, but we really hoped to, you know, my dad hoped to speak to people that were interested in pursuing a career change. And, and I think, you know, the book does do that. We have a lot of people that are looking to switch careers or find more meaning in their current job. And that's why they're reading it. And we were also interested in speaking to you know, current business owners or entrepreneurs or team leads or executives about how you don't have to wait for something, you know, really big to change or to create a, you know, committee for corporate social responsibility or just just start. You know, you can do the work now with what you're doing just by digging into your own heart and your sorrows and uncovering your own, you know, passions and feelings and that of your team and that you can start where you are right now. And that most importantly, having a, you know, people first business does not necessarily come at the expense of profit. And that's something that we're proud to be able to, you know, demonstrate that our little company can be a sort of light, you know, we're not huge and we're not, you know, taking over the world, but we're a, you know, profitable, healthy business that we're proud to say, you know, puts our farmer partners first and our employees first. Uh, that's um, very, very inspirational. And I, and that's, I guess, where I was going to go. Like, I'm sure that uh, you get a lot of maybe comments that when you say, you know, this is our story, sounds so good. And, you know, and you say, yeah, but, you know, that's maybe your dad was lucky or you uh, were lucky or, mm-hmm. the, you know, people try to minimize because what you created is something pretty magical. And I think I we discussed this with your dad where, you know, chocolate, it's like people try to invent new things when they think about what am I going to create? I'm going to do a company and they come up with these far-fetched ideas of what to invent. And many times I say, you don't have to invent something that hasn't been invented. I mean, chocolate, you're right, mm-hmm. is the most basic thing, but just the way in which you are sourcing the raw material. That's where you're creating your uniqueness, your difference. So it's not like you're recreating, inventing the wheel. Right. 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 And so and so that is to me very powerful as an example. It's, you know, you're creating chocolate, something that's been created by so many companies, so many such a scale mm-hmm. that that really it speaks volume to say you don't have to just have an, an incredible, unique idea. You just have to, the approach to the idea is what makes it unique. And mm-hmm. this is what I think you guys prove mm. that, you know, you're creating business for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yes. I mean, you're right. It's, we, we are not reinventing the wheel, but the thing that we decided we were going to do that was unique that time 
was right was how we how we source um, our beans and how we conduct ourselves as a company in terms of sharing profits and what we've learned is how much our customers appreciate that and how they feel like they're a part of what we're doing and they're a part of this movement and they are obviously mm-hmm. i mean without the support of our customers we wouldn't have shared you know 1.5 million dollars with with farmer you know smallholder cocoa farmers across the globe at this point we wouldn't and so we get inspired by our customers you know we really do listen to them about what is inspiring them to purchase our chocolate you know why us as a $12 $14 chocolate bar as opposed to some of the others that they can you know get for less it's made us dig deeper and really lean into what we do, you know, featuring the farmers on the front, telling their story. Um, we're not trying to appeal to everyone. We're trying to appeal to the people that, you know, want to buy a great tasting award-winning chocolate bar and also be a part of something that's that's doing good. I love it. I love it. And I think <laughs> that uh, we all should embark in doing more. You know, and uh, me as I mean, our company is 50 years old and uh, I know we could do more to give back. We we, of course, are based in a country like Venezuela, where, you know, that we have just providing jobs to to people and not laying them off in in very difficult Mm -hmm. political circumstances. It's already, you know, something that we're very passionate about in terms of we have to protect those jobs and absolutely. but there's always more you can do. And so I, I really admire all you do. I think you're going to inspire people to rethink the way we do business and, and think of doing, you know, what's best in the greater scheme of things. So, Lauren, anything else you're working on that is exciting that you want to share? I mean, everything is so exciting, <laughs> but is there anything we haven't discussed that that, that you want? I know you're very involved also with, you know, as you say, with uh, with the uh, young girls and, and just empowering them. And, and I think your dad, she, he did mention what makes him tick is uh, now being a granddad. So yes. congratulations yes. on your daughter. She's how old Thank now? Thank you. She's 21 months old. We just just started potty training. Girl, Going fun, well. Fun, fun. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, certainly becoming a mom has been the greatest, most challenging, most kind of, you know, bringing me to my knees kind of experience, particularly becoming a first time mom during the pandemic. And yeah, I feel lucky to have such amazing parents that are such wonderful grandparents and you know lucky to be in a position where I can create policies that are supportive of of parents, you know, not just mothers, but of of working parents and, you know, hopefully enact some some change around that. Some of the work that I do in addition to the my chocolate work is I'm serve on the board of Girls Empowerment Network, which is a, a Texas-based nonprofit organization. Um, that seeks to ignite self, self-efficacy in, in girls across the state. And it's something I am honored to be a part of and deeply passionate about. I'm based in Austin, Texas. So our company's based in Missouri, but, and yeah, I mean, you know, this, this, this passion for championing women has been a thread really throughout my whole life. And then now as a new mother, that component and that role and advocating um, for mothers is something that that I'm now deeply passionate about as well. 
That's right. And of a daughter. That's a great opportunity, you know, and I think and that's the excitement. I think that the more you have parents that empower kids, not only daughters, but boys and girls, teach them about gender inequality, as you say, you know, this is a big task we have ahead of us. And the more we do that, the more, you know, you're obviously way younger than I am, but, you know, the younger generations, then you have people like you that carrying the torch forward. And that's how we really create the change. When we pass on those concepts that your dad passed to you and my dad passed to me and my mom and the examples we've seen. And and I always say I'm a feminist, but I love to cook for my family. I love to take on traditional women's roles in the house. And I don't think I'm giving away my feminist side I'm also a working mom, but I take pride in cooking dinner. I'm not ashamed to be the one that cooks dinner because I feel I nurture my family and I take care of my kids. And when my kids, I recently shared with a group of women that I admire a lot that my, my son once told me that I didn't work because like in his mind, mommy's always there Uh for whatever he needs. I had a stay at home mom. That was Mm -hmm. my example. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they they were a little shocked and a little disappointed, I guess, in me because they say, well, but no, you have to teach them that you work or your work is equally important. Mm -hmm. And and I agree with that. But at the same time, I kind of love the fact that my kids don't feel that I work Mm -hmm. because mommy is there and available for them. And my first priority is them. And it's Mm -hmm. not my work Mm -hmm. because I think that's. That it's very scary when you put work ahead of kids and and their needs Mm -hmm. and the message we send to them. So, you know, it's one of those things I struggle a lot with, too, because. (laughs) Well, that's helpful. It's it's so helpful as as a new mom, you know, to hear that from other, you know, powerful, inspiring, you know, working mothers that that they also are still looking, you know, to find this, you know, balance, which which I think is impossible. but. Absolutely. And, and in, in being that in being diverse and inclusive, we have a big responsibility not to minimize our role as women. Absolutely. And I'm so passionate about talking about that. I took some days off of work last week and I told everyone on my team I'm potty training. Yeah. Yeah. And there's I'll nothing able, wrong with it. I'll be able to respond to you when Goldie, my daughter, is is napping and after she goes to bed, you know, I'll be signed on. But it was important to me to do that and not our nanny. And and so I took the time and I try to be really transparent whenever I'm taking time and I want others, you know, to do the same. But I want to set the example that it's okay and it's important. And for me, I encourage it, you know, for you to take time Absolutely. for your family and don't feel yes. ashamed about it. Absolutely. And nothing to hide. I remember I breastfed both my kids for a full year and I'm a full-time working mom. I would carry sometimes cooler in my car and I would go in between meetings or even halfway through a meeting, I would go out, pump, put the milk in the, in the cooler and uh, call my nanny to say, feed them now so that we would be in sync. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, and I, do, I didn't hide it because I think it's important that people know this is real life for a mom yes. that commits to certain thing, you know, yes. and I don't judge other women that don't do it, that, but that's Absolutely. what felt right to me. Didn't feel right to not try to do my best to do it. And I say, I make many things happen. I make this up too. But I think the fact that sometimes we feel we have to hide mm-hmm. it, that's 
ashamed. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's important uh, that we, as you well said, don't hide the fact that it's after the nap and it's, you don't have to say, I mean, another conference call, which mm -hmm. is what we tend to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> no, everything you're saying resonates so much. I mean, gosh, I could, I, I'm so passionate about this topic. I could talk about it for, for hours, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still breastfeeding Goldie yet, you know, almost two years old and, you know, to Congratulations. thank you and to have, to have, you know, minimized that or not talked about it. Even when I was going through it, when she was, you know, still a newborn and I was, you know, working a little and was, I felt like a, a disservice, you know, I mean, whenever you see the statistics that if you're full-time breastfeeding, that's a full-time job. So if you have a full-time job and you're breastfeeding, that's that's more hours really in a week than a person yes. can, can manage. Yes. Um, and it's just, I just feel so strongly about, you know, what you said about um, making it visible. You know, it's important and, and you're right. I and mean, however you're choosing to feed your child or, or whatever your choices are, you know, we need to be supporting parents in those and creating work environments where parents and especially mothers can be successful. I love it. Well, we have a date for another episode. <laughs> We're going to focus on working good. moms and all the challenges good. we face and yes. the, the good and the ugly, the one, the things people don't like mm -hmm. to hear about, but that are, that do happen. And I do congratulate you because it's a, to be a young mom, new mom for the first time, pandemic, all the components that were thrown at you, family business. I I really can understand a lot of those factors. And uh, I congratulate you because uh, you, you, what all you're doing is very inspiring, Laura. Thank so, you so much. Thank you. It's thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all you do. And my last question is, and your dad's answer was your daughter, you know, was what makes <laughs> him tick. When things get tough, how do you resource yourself? How do you reconnect to, to, to your passions and what makes you tick? So... I have a uh, meditation practice and a and a yoga practice that I've you know maintained at varying levels of depth off and on um, for the last fifteen years or so. And as a you know driven person, a highly sensitive person, a kind of predisposed to anxiety person, it's maintaining those things are critically important to me, especially now that I'm juggling so many roles and. So I wake up every morning before my daughter and I meditate. Um, I do it in bed, which is probably very improper in terms of the way that you, you know, are supposed to be doing it, but it's what works for me and it's how I get it done. And it's the time that I use to center myself, you know, to express my gratitudes, to think about what my intentions are for the day. And, um, and it's really kind of how I just, ground myself um, before a, you know a very busy day where I'm where I'm meant to be fulfilling a lot of roles and it you know well, it, that's that's what I that's what I do well I love it I think you have it all figured out I'm very impressed <laughs> Hardly. Um, and yes no I think you're on the right track and and that's why I knew this was going to be you know, a perfect episode. Uh, you've inspired me. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I definitely will have, you know, we have all the information about the amazing chocolate where people can get it. It will be on the show notes right. and about the book too. So thank you, Lauren, thank you. so much for being here. Thank and uh, keep creating, you know, ripples because they, they are felt. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit leticialatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.